We've been in a series since this time last year in the Gospel of Mark, and we are just taking our time through it. Uh, I, ain't, I ain't got nowhere to go. You ain't either. So uh, we might as well just go through the book of the Bible and, and see what the Lord would want us to see. Mark chapter 11, uh, verse 27, and I'm going to read through just the rest of this chapter. If you dare say amen. amen. And if you're not, it's going to be on the screen. Also, we have Bibles out there, some paperback Bibles out there that are be a gift for you if you need one. And they came again to Jerusalem, and he, as he was walking in the temple, the chief priest and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I, I do these things. And Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another. I imagine they're in a little huddle saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered, Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Uh, before we dive into this, let's just pray one more time. And before we pray, let's keep Gail in our prayers, Gail and Mandy, and so many others of us in our church family going through so many things. But let's go before our Father. God, we thank you, Lord. Uh, thank you for your goodness and your that you are just and that you are merciful and that you are loving and your loving kindness is never-ending for us, Lord. God, we come before you, Lord, with just um, with so many needs within even our just church community family. And we, we ask that you would move swiftly and bring healing and bring comfort and bring peace and bring clarity and bring all the things that you said that you could do, knowing that uh, we put our faith and our trust and the true and living God, the one that who is able to do far more than abundantly than we could ask or think, Lord. And so we come to you and ask to move. Move for Gail, Lord Jesus. Lord, as we just soak in your word, Lord, let your word read us, and may we see you for who you are. May we see ourselves in this and show us our sin and show us our Savior and make the good book live to us in Christ's name. Amen. amen. Let's just be very honest because uh, if I were to categorize what we just read, it is a matter of authority. If we're just going to be honest about that one very subject, we don't like other people interfering in our lives, commanding our attention, uh, demanding our obedience. Um, and, and, and in particularly, we do not like that in the matters of spirituality. We don't like there being some sort of um, authority over our spiritual walk because many of us have kind of drank the Kool-Aid in, in, in contemporary terms that your, your spiritual walk is, is just you. You are just you, and it's your private walk, and it is not something to be made public. It is not something where you are submitting it under into an authority. 
And if we've been reading and if you've been following along, uh, something about the gospel of Mark would, would cause quite the problem with that idea. Because the gospel of Mark has been kind of uh, confronting our issues of us wanting to be the authority of our lives. Us wanting to go about the way of life that we want to go about. But if we've been following along the gospel of Mark, we see that Jesus has been confronting those very things within our lives. In fact, in C.S. Lewis's book, um, I, I believe it was his autobiography, uh, Surprised by Joy, he, he at one point points Jesus out to be the transcendental interferer. That Jesus comes and he interferes with our lives. Jesus steps foot on the earth. And if you've been following along in the gospel of Mark, he did not come to just ask permission to do things. He did not come to suggest people to follow him. This was an authority that Jesus had. And when he came, he used this authority and he interfered in the affairs of humans. And he interferes in the affairs of your lives. And I know like in a, in a culture in 2023, that sounds like that's not the type of Jesus that I want to follow someone who is going to demand and command me to be under his authority and to follow after him. Why? Oh, come on. You guys are sensible Americans because this is America. Nobody tells you what to do. Oh, okay. So, so you, you, you love being told what to do? Is that it? Are you from China? What's wrong with you, right? No, this is America, baby. I'm proud, man. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do because this is my freedom. And no one will interfere on my freedom. Insert Jesus Christ. Who, As we watched through carefully how through the gospel of Mark, how he has been the transcendental interferer. When the crowds come to him, uh, for example, in chapter 8, he calls them to a spiritual revolution. <laughs> he doesn't say, if any of you are remotely interested in this kingdom stuff I've been talking about, if you would just be marginally concerned with me and my agenda. He doesn't say any of that. He says, if anyone would come, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, keep his life for himself, will lose it. Whoever gives his life away, loses his life for me and for the gospel. Jesus, speaking with authority, is demanding and commanding this type of following, and he was, <laughs> and he is causing a spiritual insurrection in the people. That word has a bad connotation in today's world, but forget it. Um, now, now here's here's the question: Does Jesus actually have this type of authority? to make this type of statement. Does Jesus have the authority to speak into the crowds? Does Jesus have this authority uh, to speak into contemporary American crowds and say, if you want to save your life, you lose it. If you want to follow me, you would deny yourself and take up your cross. 
Now you see that the issue in this passage that we have uh, read for us is, is just this type of issue, the struggle that is taking place between the religious authorities and Jesus is a struggle. It is a tension, a very tense moment, a tussle, I guess you could say, around the matter of authority. Now, this isn't something new. This just isn't some idea that, that they come up with, that they think that Jesus may be asserting some type of authority. Again, I would, I would recommend you, if you have not been following along, to start back at chapter one, and you'll see how Jesus has been asserting this type of authority among the people. I, I go back to, to chapter one, when Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. Uh, in verse 21 in, in chapter 1, it says that the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them with one who had what? Semi-authority. One who was just, you know, randomly speaking and could not make sense of anything that he was saying. They were amazed because this man was teaching with such authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now, I, I pause and I made mention of this when we went through this the first time, that when people heard Jesus and they were drawn to him, it was because of this authority in which they spoke. And so this is something that we can assume they weren't used to. It was, it was, they were used to the religious leaders saying the same things over and over again in a mundane type of way. They went to a dead church where the preacher was just reading off something that he, that he just continues to read off every week after week after week. And this was just likely extra biblical things too, that the Jewish priests would add on to the Bible, their commentary, and they would just read it to him. And, and the people were probably just sitting there like, maybe some of you are sitting here just staring at me, ready to close your eyes and wander off in those nice, luxurious, comfortable Seats, as I talk like this, you could probably do that. But not Jesus. He comes and they're amazed at this Galilean carpenter, how he began to speak with such authority. And in fact, there's in one particular occasion, as, as Mark records, when, when even Jesus meets uh, the demoniac encounter when the evil spirit out, the evil spirit calls out. Jesus uh, actually deals with that. In, in I think it was Mark says that the people were also amazed that they asked each other, "What is this? A new teaching?" And here we go again, and with such authority. See, these fellows were. Uh, the, the purveyors of religious establishment. And these religious people come with the right background. Sometimes when you have the right background, that really doesn't mean anything. And in this case, they have the right background. They're dressed the right way. They're saying the, the, the things that they're supposed to be saying. They're, they're acting in a way that they're supposed to to be acting, and yet there is no authority in their life. They have a theology, but the theology that they have is not transferred into a passion into their heart. And it is okay to have a right theology. We need a right theology. You should have said amen right there. We need right theology. But if the theology that we have is not causing any kind of transformation in our lives. And we are just what Jesus would call these religious people, just whitewashed tombs. 
You look great. You sound good. You're saying all the right things. But there has not been a transformation that's taken place. But they look the right part. They're saying the right things. And so they have an issue because Jesus is just a pseudo rabbi. He's just some, some random guy that's been coming up and causing a sting and causing and stirring around everything. That's why in, in, in chapter 6, Mark records on another occasion when Jesus is speaking with such authority that the folks begin to say to one another, wait a minute, isn't this just the carpenter guy? Isn't this, don't we know his brothers and sisters? How can he be speaking with such authority? How can he be speaking with such authority? I can I could take you to more examples, but that was just by way of just an introduction, just to kind of wrap our minds around this idea that this wasn't something new, that Jesus has been speaking with authority, and this has kind of been building inside of the Sanhedrin and uh, the 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 leaders, the the elders, the priests for some time now, and so they think they're going to like pin Jesus up against a wall as if as if they as if they ever do that anyway, but they think they're going to get him this one time. And we're going to get him. And we're going to see this confrontation. And so we look at this passage again, and they're, they're again in Jerusalem, the place to which Jesus is moving, uh, in, in which we would, we would recognize that this is Passion Week. This is where Jesus is, is, is in his movements, walking closer and closer to pain and to suffering, where he will die and where he will be raised again from the grave. And this in mind, Jesus is also walking the temples. In, in Matthew's account, he's also teaching in the temples and the crowds are following him. And as the crowds follow him and, and maybe they break away for a moment, the religious leaders come in and they ask him this question, by whose authority are you teaching? By, by whose authority are you, are you doing these things? By what authority do you come here and you say these things? By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Because after all, these religious folks were the ones who would give the authorization for people to have such power. So they just ask him, so where did you get your authority? You know, I wonder if they've, they've thought in this moment they've trapped Jesus or maybe they've nailed him, they finally got him, which they never do. And I love what Jesus says, and he, you know, by way of, in, in, in terms of almost like a lawyer that they're questioning, right? Jesus says, okay, and as Jesus typically does, if you follow along the life of Jesus, when he's asked a question, Jesus just goes back with another question. He's like, can't you just answer the question, Jesus? And he does. He just does it with more questions. And he says, well, I'll give you a question. You answer me, and then I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Uh, John's baptism, was it, was it from heaven um, or, or from men? You, you tell me this right now. Now, we have to understand, and again, take just another rabbit trail if we can, uh, down a little lane, I guess, and, and, re, and why is he bringing up John the Baptist? Why, what is the significance of John the Baptist? Well, because they know John the Baptist, and they also know what we just read, that the people believe that John the Baptist was a prophet. 
Now, just hang with me for just a second, and, and I'll get to something that's, that's, that gives us some application to our heart. But, but I want to appeal to us for just a moment. Why is this so significant? Why would Jesus ask them a question about John the Baptist? It's simply because they, the people understood that John the Baptist was a prophet. But you have to understand the life of John the Baptist. And I think about John chapter 1, where we get in verse number 6, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Now, just follow me for just a moment. And then in verse 19, now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? And John the Baptist looks at them and he tells them, I'm just, I'm just a man who's, who's just pointing a finger. I'm just a man who is speaking in the wilderness I, I, I'm just a dude that's, that's pointing to the one who was to come. I'm, I'm not the Messiah. And then just a few verses later, John the Baptist looks over the crowd and he sees Jesus Christ and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who is here to take away the sins of the world. And John looks at them and he says, there's the Messiah. And, and, and with that in context, and, and, and in fact, John says, I'm, I'm just the voice. I'm just the one calling out. I can't even, I can't even baptize. I can't even unlace his sandals because he's so holy. And he's right here in our midst. He's here. He's Jesus. And he's the Messiah. My role, John would say, I'm just the one who's prophesying about him, preparing a way, making the way for the king of the universe to come. And the people had got there clear in their minds, and they understood that John the Baptist was a prophet. And so this discussion has quite a weight of it if, if they understood that about John. So they've got to be very tactful about how they answer Jesus. And so Jesus is playing a little hardball with them, and he says, well, let me ask you the question. Did John's baptism come from heaven, or did it come from men? And so was it divine, is the question, or was it human? That's the question Jesus is asking. Did he invent this or did he have divine authority? And so I, I love I verse 31. It's like they go get into some little, um, some little sports huddle together. I, I wouldn't call it a holy huddle because it's not a holy huddle. And they, they, they go into a little huddle and they put their hard uh, noggins together once again. And one of them says, you know, they, they must say right here, well, we can't say it's baptism from heaven because, you know, if we say that it comes from heaven, then he'll want to know, well, then why don't you believe? And I'm quite sure the other one was like, well, you know, we, we can't say it's from men because the crowds are convinced that John the Baptist is a prophet. And we need the crowd on our side. And so one of them's like, you know what I'll do? I'll just go tell Jesus that we don't know. This is probably, in, in Matthew's opinion, I don't know why I'm talking in third person. This is, this is probably the most embarrassing moment for the religious leaders that we have seen this far. Because they do know. They're afraid to answer Jesus. And so what do they do? They lie. 
Well, you know what? We just don't know. Yeah, you do. You do know. They do know. It's, it's, it's so interesting. And so essentially what they're, they're wanting to do here is play politics with Jesus. It's, it's impossible for them to answer otherwise because if they do, they condemn themselves. Or if they answer the other way, then it incurs the opposition of the people. And so they're trapped. If they answer one way, they'll be forced to say that, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And if they answer the other way, then they are forced to oppose the crowd. And they don't want to do that. And so they do what just some of us would do instead of, instead of us understanding and recognizing the authority of Jesus, we lie to ourselves and we lie to everyone else and we just say, well, actually, I just don't know if he, if he does have the ultimate authority in my life. Because in one instance, you're worried about the crowd around you. And then in the other instance, if you claim his authority, then what does that mean that you have to do? Then that means that you have to Lay down your life and follow Christ. Do you see what's happening here? If scripture is God-breathed, if scripture is for us to rebuke us, to correct us, to lead us, then this just isn't some random story that Mark decided that he was going to throw in just as some kind of historical moment for us. What is the writer doing here? Well, it's the same question. Who is your authority? That's the question being asked. And careful how you answer that. Because if you say that Christ is my authority, then the, the commands of Christ are, are for you there to follow after. Or, or, you can continue in your life and just to say, well, then I am my own authority. Or you can be like them and you can just say, well, I need the crowd with me. Because if I leave this lifestyle, because if I leave my business, because if I leave this, or if I follow Christ, then this is what's going to happen. It's going to require something from me. Because that's the cost of following Christ. It never allows you to be the authority in your life. Never. Christ is the interferer of our lives. Now, what do we do with this? Especially in, in 2023, you know, we're thinking about where we're going to go to lunch here in just the next moments. It's, it's the issue of the, the cost of following after Christ. It's an issue of authority. And if we're honest, we, we have, as we began, we don't like people demanding our obedience. We don't like people commanding us to do something. And that was ingrained in us as young children. Anyway, didn't we say that as kids? Are oh, you going to tell me what to do? 
And then if you, you're real childish, what do you say? You ain't my mama. Right? Or maybe I was the only one that said that. You ain't my mom. And let me tell you something, parents. You fed that to your children. Now, Billy, don't you, tell, don't you let anyone tell you what to do. Or if you're in Utah, your name would be Brexton or something. Brexton, don't you tell anyone. If your name is Brexton, I apologize. And your parents should too. You, don't you tell anyone what, I'm in trouble now, what to do, right? That's what we do. Why? Because we do not like authority. We do not want to place ourselves under authority. I'll do me, right? That's the cultural mantra that is being prophesied in our world today. What is it? You do you, honey. What makes you feel good? What makes you feel right? What, what justifies you in just the moment that you're feeling? What does your heart say? And we listen to it. And the reason why we listen to these, this demonic lie is because we do not want to be under an authority. And Jesus comes and he crashes our world and he turns everything upside down. And he comes to those people and he looks at them. If you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up my cross and follow me. He is commanding a spiritual insurrection in your life. And it is not a suggestion. It is Christ the King coming to rule your heart. He is not coming to co-rule with you as like a, a shared owner of his authority and rulership. That ain't the Jesus that I serve. And if that's your Jesus, you have the wrong one. You have a Jesus that serves you. You have a Jesus that is a genie in the bottle and is your bellhop. And that Jesus doesn't exist. What, what is your authority? Or a better way to ask that would be, who is your authority? Is it you? Is it somebody you're following? Is it the government? Is it being a part of a political party? Is it, you know, an idea? <laughs> who is your authority? That's, that's the question that's being asked here because Jesus is demanding and has been demanding our obedience through this whole gospel up until this point where it draws to a head and where they have a problem with who Jesus is and they ask him, on what authority do you do these things? And the question is, who gave you this authority? And instead of them verbalizing and seeing Jesus for who he is, instead of saying that this is from heaven, that you are who you say you are, we bow before you. They, they say, like many of us, will leave this room and say, I do not know. And so you have to feel the weight. And you have to feel the spirit of God calling you by whose authority do you submit to? And you have two answers, Christ or following after the world. 
And it, and it has to be following Christ, submitting to him, obeying his word. Who is your authority?